Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. This morning, um, we are going to get started in the book of Leviticus, but before we do, let's just start with prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time that we have spent in your presence thus far. Lord, the worship that we sang this morning, the words that we sang to you, the praise, Father, I pray, Lord, that it was a blessing to you. I pray that you felt glorified this morning. And Lord, it just reminds us of who you are. And as we received communion, Lord, the cup and the bread, Lord, wow, it just once again reminded us of what you did for us. And Lord, as we walk into this new book, Um, study in Leviticus over the next six weeks. I pray, Lord, that you would use this ancient book to speak new truth and new revelation into each of our lives this morning. Just move out all the distraction. Move out all of the um, thoughts in our head, Lord, that that will just keep us from fully absorbing all of this today. And I, I pray against the enemy who might want to speak into this in any way today, Lord, that he would be silenced and have no part of this. Holy Spirit, you're just so welcome here today. Just speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, growing up, um, I grew up in a family who loved each other very deeply. We're all very close to this day, and back then, when we weren't fighting, we were really close. And uh, the one thing that, as I was doing reading through the book of Leviticus, and the, especially these first seven chapters, I started remembering childhood, and I started realizing that we were a family that did not say, I'm sorry. Does anybody relate to that? You don't need to raise your hands. But we, uh, if you wronged somebody in my immediate family, if you offended them, if you sinned against them, did something wrong to them, you might regret what you did. I regretted many times when I did that to one of my sisters or my mom and dad or a brother. You could even feel really awful about it, feel bad about it, but you just didn't ask for forgiveness. That just wasn't something that we did. You just waited it out. Anybody else like that? You just waited it out. And while you waited for it to blow over, um, nobody really spoke to anybody. You could look right at the person that you had made angry or offended or hurt their feelings. You could look right at them and you could ask them a question like, hey, mom, where's the car keys? And they would just stare straight ahead as if you hadn't said a word. They would completely ignore you or because they weren't speaking to you. Did you ever do this? Um, They talked to you through somebody else. Okay. So it would be like dad would say, Cindy, go ask your mom if I need to pick your sister up from softball. And I'd walk in the room, I'd be like, Mom, Dad wants to know if you want to pick up sister from softball. Tell your father that she needs picked up at 2 o'clock. Dad, Mom says she needs picked up at 2 o'clock. That's how it went. Um, We just did not 
say we're sorry. And after a length of time that would fit the crime, you knew that all had been forgiven when they started speaking to you again. And that was how we did it. That's how our family did it. We might have consequences for our actions, but we didn't ever ask forgiveness. We didn't ever repent for what we had done. So maybe some of you this morning, and those of you watching online today, maybe you grew up in a healthy family dynamic, where if you offended someone, hurt someone, sinned against them, you know what it's like to ask forgiveness. You learned, you were taught. Maybe, you know, they always say with parents and kids that it's not taught, but it's caught. Maybe it was modeled to you how to make amends, how to make things right. When I look back on those times in childhood, um, you know what was the hardest part? It wasn't the, um, it, it, it was always the not speaking to me part. It was the distance that came and that was created from that offense. It was the relational uh, separation from the loved one that I had offended. And maybe you can relate to that too. That relational distance is the most upsetting. Knowing that the things that you did or the thing that you didn't do created this separation in a relationship with someone that you loved. It's cause and effect, right? And in sin, that is the outcome. When we sin, when we offend, uh, there is a separation between us. Sin separates Sin separates us from God, and sin separates us from each other, the person in our relationship. It never only just affects the sinner. So in this new series, it's called Cracking the Code, we are going to study this ancient book of Leviticus. And today we're going to be in chapters 1 through 7. Now, we can't read seven chapters of Leviticus today. So I'm going to kind of bounce around, but I hope that you go back later this week and you really dig into those and see what they say. God is teaching his children, who are the Israelites, how to live in a right relationship with him because they just do not know how. They don't know how to live in relationship with him. They sin against God, and at times they even seem oblivious to the enormity of some of their sins. They not only sin against God, but they don't know how to worship a holy God. They don't know how to worship him in their attitude. They don't know how to worship him even with their praise, with their words, just in their general daily living. And they don't know how to worship him in their posture towards him because they've never had a relationship with a living God. And they don't know what it means to be part of a holy people. They don't know what it means to be a holy people to a holy God. Because it's been 400 plus years that the Israelites have been living in a pagan world and with false gods and all of this inability to worship a holy God has created a separation between them and God. But what I love about the book of Leviticus 
is that God, whose very nature is love, no matter all of this, he takes the initiative and he creates a way to fix it. He fixes the problem. God wants to reconcile his relationship with a rebellious Israel. We can't live in the fullness of God's presence with sin in our lives. It's just that simple. To live in the fullness of God's presence, we can't live with sin in our lives. And we can't live in the fullness of God's presence if we don't give him the worship and if we don't give him the honor that he deserves. Because living in God's presence meant that they would be living their best life. And that's what God wants for his people. So he provided a way for his people to be in his presence. And one thing as we get going on this, and through this entire book of Leviticus, it's going to be six weeks long, six Sundays of Leviticus, I want you to remember that God had a people then, and God has a people now. And he provided a way for the Israelites to live in the fullness of his presence. That means to receive everything that he has for them. And he provided a way for you and I to live in, a, in his presence. Now, the book of Leviticus, has anybody read the book of Leviticus? Mm -hmm. There's like five of us. The book of Leviticus is often a book that people skip over in the Bible. Genesis is exciting. Exodus is way exciting. And then you get to Leviticus. And so many people just sort of skim over it, blood, guts, death, sacrifice, cutting it all up, burning it all up. And they just kind of move on into numbers. They don't stay there. Even pastors rarely preach on the book of Leviticus. And aren't you lucky you're going to get six weeks of Leviticus. At a glance, it looks like outdated sacrifices. It looks like outdated rituals, weird regulations that do not apply to us today. But I want to tell you this, for the next six weeks, all that we read and hear about, it does apply to our life today. God has always wanted a relationship with his people. He has always wanted us to live in the fullness of his presence. He created Adam and Eve, and he took walks with them every day. Did you think about that? In the book of Genesis, it tells us how in the late, in the cool of the evening, God would seek out Adam and Eve, and they would go for a walk. And then sin. Later on in the book of Genesis, if you go towards the end, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he promises Abraham that his offspring, his generation would be, generations would become a great nation. And these would be the people of God. You see, God always wanted a people. And so, if you recall the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors, you know that this people of God, Abraham's offspring, we call, they're the Israelites, 
they end up living in Egypt and it's all good for a while until they get a new Pharaoh and they became so numerous that this new Pharaoh fears that if he doesn't do something about it, they're going to grow to become such a mighty uh, group of people within the country of Egypt that they will take over or if their enemies come to attack them, these Israelites will join forces with the enemies and overtake Egypt. And so he determines that the only way to stop this is to brutally enslave them. And so he does. They live in this pagan nation of Egypt, and it's a culture that worships false gods and goddesses. And they indulge in selfish lifestyles, and they flaunt all kinds of sins, sins against the true God. And the oppression from the Egyptians after hundreds of years, it just becomes too much for the Israelites and they begin to cry out to God. Now they haven't heard from God in 400 years, but they cry out to him to save them. And God hears their cries. And you may know the next story. He raises up a man named Moses And Moses is to set them free. And in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, Moses leads the Egypt, um, sorry, the wrong country. He leads the Israelites through the Red Sea to their freedom. But as you will see, the easy part was getting them out of Egypt. The hard part is going to be getting Egypt out of them. At the end of Exodus, Moses and the Israelites are camped at the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up the mountain and he's going to meet with God. And while he is there, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. But he also gives him this detailed blueprint or plans of a new tabernacle that is to be built. A new tent of meeting, as they called it. The first tent of meeting was always kept on the outskirts of the camp and the people couldn't go close to it they couldn't go near it when when business was being done in the in the tent of meeting they would stand at the edge of the camp and they would watch from afar but the new tabernacle it's going to be placed in the center of the camp god wants to dwell among his people but while moses is up on the mountain getting the blueprints the Israelites decide he's taking too long. Now, they've been set free. They've passed through the Red Sea. God has given them freedom from the Egyptians. Maybe they have things that they want that they're not getting, or maybe they think there's things that they need. Maybe they just reverted back to what they always knew, but they demand that Moses' brother Aaron create them a golden calf. It's what they worshiped in Egypt. And I thought about that. I thought, I wonder how often we think God's taking too long. (laughs) I wonder how often we think God takes too long to answer our prayers, too too long to give us something that we need. Too long to receive something that we've been dreaming about or desiring about or that we really want, but we're not getting an answer. It's not happening. He's just taking too long and we go ahead of him and we take matters into our own hands. Every time I've ever done that, I have always regretted it. So Moses comes down from the mountain 
And God's people are bowing down and worshiping an idol. The people are not only sinning against God, it shows us that clearly, but it also shows us that they don't have a grasp about who they are living in the presence of. They don't have a grasp about who they're living in the presence of. The God of creation, the God who parted the Red Sea, he's not your Egyptian kind of God. They seem to have no reverence or respectful fear of him. As God's people today, we don't bow down to golden calves, but do we truly understand that we are living before a holy and powerful God? Or have we become complacent? One of the core values that I love about the Valley Church is come as you are. We welcome you to come to the valley as you are. You don't have to have your life cleaned up. You don't have to fix everything about your life. Everything doesn't have to be good and right and repaired. You just come as you are. It means come to the Father. He wants you to come just as you are. It means come to the church wherever you find yourself in life. Broken, addicted, lonely, searching. Come. You're welcome just as you are. But if we are a follower of Christ, if we are his people, then we have to be on guard against complacency. We have to be on guard against taking God for granted. Because while he wants us to come as we are, he also wants us to know who he is and to be in respect of that and in to be reverent of that. We become so familiar. I don't know about you, but I think of him all the time. And when I think of him, I normally think of God in terms of my father. I think of him in terms of my friend. I think of him as God is love. God is grace. And he is. He is all of those things. But he is also Yahweh. And the Hebrews wouldn't even say his name. They used the um, initials Y-H-W-H. They didn't put the vowels in there because he was such a great holy God. They wouldn't even say his name. They would say Yahweh. He is the God who is so holy. Lord of Lord, King of Kings. And as I was thinking about what these Israelites did as they knelt down and they worshiped this golden calf, I thought, do we come into his presence casually? Do we forget who he is? And again, I don't mean your outward appearance when I say that. I mean, how often do we check our screens in the morning before we even acknowledge the king of kings? When we sing his praises, are we all in? Is sin creeping into our thoughts? Maybe it's all in. There's a sin that has come into your life. Our behaviors, uh, the way that we treat other people. Do we approach God the way that we're comfortable with? 
Or do we approach him the way that he tells us to? Do we pick and choose what feels right, what feels good to us? Do we only come to him when we need something or we want something? You see, God's people, these Israelites, they had allowed this sin to creep in. And Moses knows when he sees this scene of them bowing down, worshiping this golden idol, he knows that they're in big trouble. And so he goes back up the mountain to plead and to seek forgiveness for the people. Because while God is a loving God, God is also a jealous God. And Israel's sinful worship has damaged their relationship to God. Leviticus 1.1, that's what we're going to start with today. It says, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him, and I want you to look at that word there, from the tent of meeting. Moses cannot enter the tabernacle. He cannot come into God's presence. And then I noticed something interesting. The next book of the Bible is Numbers after Leviticus, its very first verse it opens with, Numbers 1.1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meetings. What happened? What happens from Leviticus 1.1 to Numbers 1.1? The code that unlocked God's presence was discovered. God took the initiative In the book of Leviticus, he took the initiative to make a way to reconcile his people to him, to reconcile their relationship. The first word in the book of Leviticus literally translates in the Hebrew, he called, God called. He called to Moses to reveal how Israel should live their daily lives. He's saying to them in the book of Leviticus, I'm just going to put it in a nutshell for you, this entire book, six weeks worth. He's saying, I'm teaching you how to live. I'm teaching you how to love. I'm teaching you how to deal with one another. And I'm teaching you how to worship me in order that you will enjoy my presence, in order that you can come fully into my presence. I want you to be a holy people. He's saying to them, your best life will only be found living in my glorious presence. And he wants to teach you and I the same thing today. Impurities, sin had crept into God's people's lives and had to be dealt with. And as Pastor Mark said earlier, sin always requires a death. And so there had to be a means of forgiveness and a means of restitution And that's what Leviticus 1 through 7 is all about. We could get caught up trying to understand. Trust me, I've spent weeks on this book. We could get caught up trying to understand all the detailed rituals, all the the practices, because it goes into the tiniest of details. But rather than trying to practice an old ceremony, we're going to focus on the holy and divine character of God behind those rituals. Our focus is going to be to discover the divine and holy character of God behind them and live out the principles that they teach us. 
because there is so much gold in the book of Leviticus that you and I need to mine out and we need to understand. The first seven chapters are all about sacrifices. These are all the sacrifices that God said Israel is to bring to him. There are five that I'm going to look at today. There's more, but we're going to look at the main five in. These are the ones that uh, Leviticus goes into the most detail about. Two of the offerings were to say thank you. Two offerings say thank you. The first one in Leviticus 2 was called the grain offering. And this one was about thankfulness. You offered grain, right? Grain, bread, cakes, flour, and that was given. This offering said, God, I know that any goodness that's in my life comes from you, and so I commit my life to you. I commit my life work to you. All that I have, all that I am, it's yours. That was that offering. And as I was thinking about that, I realized that Wayne and I practice this type of an offering. Every time we give back 10% of what God has blessed us with, of our income to God. We give it to the church who uses it for the kingdom of God, practical resources. We offer it up with thanksgiving because we know full well that everything we have that's good in our lives, every single thing is because of God. The second one was called a fellowship offering. It's found in Leviticus 3. The fellowship offering was to show gratitude for their relationship with God. They would offer up a cow, a goat, or a sheep. And the meat, I love this part, the meat that was not burned on the altar was then taken and provided as a celebratory meal for the worshiper and for those in need in their community. They wanted to bless others because a good and gracious God had blessed them. Now, there's three ways of repenting to God for the wrongs done to others that are in Leviticus. Leviticus 1 tells us that the burnt offering was a basic all-purpose offering. This one, the burnt offering, I just call it the all-in offering. This one was saying, this offering was because you're to be all in, completely devoted to God. Um, It could be a bull, a sheep, a goat, a pigeon, a dove. It was based on your economics, uh, how much money you had. So for most people, it could be a very expensive offering. This was the only offering in which the entire animal was burnt up. And it was a high price to pay to make amends uh, to God for not being all in, completely devoted to him. Next was the sin offering. We find that one in Leviticus 4. The sin offering was to make amends for unintentional sin or sins of ignorance. I call that one the oopsies, right? Oops, you know, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to sin. I didn't mean, oh, you know, you get home and you realize you were gossiping about somebody or, or, you know, back then I think they probably, maybe they broke one of the commandments and then later they were like, oh, I didn't realize I did that. That was the sin offering. It would be a bull, a goat, or a bird. And the last one is found in Leviticus 5 and 6. This one is the guilt offering to make amend for specific sin. This is sin you know that you did. I knew better. 
I knew it was wrong when I did it, but I did it anyway. With the guilt offering, you made amends with people, those that you sinned against, and you made amends with God. You went to the person you sinned against and you made it right. A mere apology was just not enough. You went to God after that and you made it right with them. This brought me back as I was um, working on this message. It brought me back to a memory that I have as a bad memory. It's one I don't like. It's one I did not want to share with you today because it's embarrassing. So embarrassing. About eight years ago, the Holy Spirit um, brought something to my mind that I had completely forgotten about. I was in college, and there was a girl on my hall, and she did slash had something that highly annoyed me. And truth be told, there was absolutely no reason, no justification for what I did. And one day, my roomie and I, we thought it would be fun we thought it would be, I don't know what, it was stupid, but we went into her room and we took this thing. Now, we truly did not think of it as stealing. If you'd asked me that day, why did you steal that? I was like, I didn't steal that. We're just borrowing it. We're playing a prank. We're going to put it back. But it quickly got out of hand. The ball just started rolling, and before we knew it, it had turned into a big deal. And instead of admitting what we did, uh, we just denied any knowledge of it and we just went silent. Two weeks later, it was summer breaks, college was out, we went home. And I never um, saw, heard from, I don't know whatever happened to that young lady. I completely forgot about it. And when I say that, I say that in all truth, it just never crossed my mind again until 35 years later. I was on Facebook, darn Facebook. And you know how if you're friends with a friend, your friends, they'll pop up, right? And this woman's Facebook profile popped up on my Facebook page. And I just felt my heart stop it all started coming back to me. I replayed that day in my mind, and I could remember every detail. It was as if I was there. And as a grown woman looking back, I saw that her reaction was one of deep hurt. Her reaction was embarrassment. And looking back, I realize now that it was also a financial cost to a young college student. And I felt this sorrow rise up in me. I felt it rise up in me, and I felt this heaviness, and I knew in that moment that I had sinned against her, and I had sinned against God. Now, I could have rationalized this, and I could have said, that was 35 years ago. She won't even remember me. She won't remember my name. She's probably forgotten all about it. Or I could have rationalized, you know, I just, I just need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Because, you know, if I contact her, that's just going to make her embarrassed or bring back bad memories for her. But it kept popping up into my mind every single day for like two weeks. And I knew 
that that was the Holy Spirit convicting me. And the first thing that is required of those who trespass against another is confession. Leviticus 5.5, this ancient book tells us that when anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what they have sinned. The New Testament tells us in Matthew, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and do what? Go. Go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. So I knew that I had to go to her and confess and ask for her forgiveness and let me tell you, that was not fun. That was so awkward and uncomfortable and unpleasant, but that was just part of what I had to do. It doesn't matter what her response was. When it was over, I just kept saying to myself, it doesn't matter what her response was. I have to do the right thing. And then I needed to make amends because when you sin against someone, restitution is part of repentance. Making amends, making something right, setting it right is part of repentance. Leviticus 6.5 tells us they must make rep restitution in full and add a fifth of the value to it and give it all to the owner on the day that they present their guilt offering. So back in the ancient book, it said that they had to offer up the sin sacrifice to get the forgiveness, but then they also had to go back to that person and add a fifth of the value to it, give back even more than what they took. Luke 19, 8 and 9 tells us this one, one of my favorite stories as a little girl. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And all I can say is thank God we're under the new covenant, right? Or I would have been looking for a bull or a ram or a goat. I sent money. Um, I thought it through. I prayed about it. And I sent money to an organization that ministers to teenage girls. And I sent it on behalf of this person that I had wronged. I sent it in her name. And then I went before a holy God. And I asked him to forgive my sin. So first I asked her to forgive me. I made it right. And then I went before God and I asked him to forgive my sins. So you can imagine that by the time the Israelites and the priests get to the end of all those um, sacrifices that I just shared with you, the guilt, the burnt, the sin offerings, you can imagine by the time they get to the end of those day in and day out. I mean, this, what I did with this woman exhausted me. By the time it was over, I was like, thank you. It's over. It's done. I can, I can put this behind me. I have peace. Can you imagine if you had to do this day in and day out, every sin required a sacrifice, Every sin required so much blood. 
Can you imagine that every time you sinned, you had to bring an animal that would receive the death penalty that you deserved? Even with the important role played by the priests, you were required to actively participate. Until I was reading Leviticus carefully, I pictured that the sinner brought, the, uh, brought to the priest the animal, and like I would just be like, you know, dragging my little goat behind me, and I'd, I'd hand it off to him, and, and I was done. But that's not how it went. It wasn't that simple. Your substitute had to come from your own flock or your own herd, so that meant that the animals, animal was a real part of your wealth. So it cost you something. You had to go out and get the animal. And I was thinking that you, you probably raised this animal. You fed it. You cared for it. You protected it daily against predators. And when you brought the ram or the lamb or the goat to the priest... You presented it as a substitute for your sin and you would be the one who would slit its throat and you would be the one that had to let the blood pour out. You skinned it. You cut it into pieces. The ugliness of sin was evidenced in the ugliness of the sacrifice that had to be made. What Leviticus helps us see today is sin has a high cost. Sin has a high price to pay. And it also helps us see today that God's grace is extravagant. We needed a mediator. We needed a sacrifice as a substitute for you and I for our sin. And all through the book of Leviticus, you will see that the sin offering was a picture of what was to come. The sin offering was a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the sin of the world. He was a lamb without blemish, whose precious blood was spilled after being publicly slain. Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem just as the sin offering was always to be burnt outside of the camp. Hebrews 9, 25 through 26 tells us, nor did he enter heaven, this is Jesus, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself up again and again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. When we get to the New Testament, it becomes even more beautiful because now you and I, instead of us having to bring something of value to be the substitute for our sins. God, the one whom we betrayed, he provided the payment on behalf of those who betrayed him. Let that sink in for a minute. God, the one whom we betray, provides the payment on behalf of those who have betrayed him. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. He sent the substitute, his only son. He made a new way. In Leviticus, it was the old covenant. And today we have the new covenant, Jesus Christ. And so my question for you this morning is, first, have you surrendered yourself to Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him? Are you wholly, fully committed to him? And just as I was reading through Leviticus and I was reminded of this story from long, long ago in my life, do you need to come before a holy God? And is there something that the Holy Spirit might be convicting you of that you need to repent of and you need to ask forgiveness and maybe even make restitution? Have you wronged someone and do you need to make it right? I wish that the Cindy now could tell the Cindy who was 18, stupid, and in college, a few things. I would tell her this. Repentance brings freedom. Confession and making things right brings healing. In James, it tells us, confess your sins to each other so that you might be healed. It's so hard to get started, but once you do, no matter what the other person's response is, you'll be so glad that you did. I love the message translation of Hebrews 13, 15. We want to close with this. It says, so let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. This insider world is not our home We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus. And this is the part I love. No longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. Your best life will only be found when you live in the fullness of God's presence. Paul urges us in Romans 12, 1, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. And so this morning as we close, I just want to invite you, you can do it as you're sitting there, you might do it later today in your quiet time with God. Maybe he's going to bring something to your memory, um, I don't know, but I just want to encourage you. This, is, this next six weeks is just the most perfect time for us to evaluate, to evaluate ourselves to evaluate if there is sin in our life, if there's something from our past or even something now that we need to go and make right with somebody. It's a good time to evaluate how we worship a holy God. In the, in the weeks to come, we're going to learn what is a holy God, what is holiness, what is a holy people. It sounds so, so difficult, but it's not. That's who God is, and he's given us a way. And I just want you to take time as we go through these six weeks and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you and to show you how the truths of this book applies to us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that you care so deeply for us, Lord, that you sent your son 
as the substitute for our sin, Lord. Sin always requires a death. And Father God, you provided that for us. And I pray that as your people, that we would never take that for granted. I pray, Lord, that we would strive to worship you, to praise you, to never be complacent in our relationship with you. Father, I just pray that you would bless your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Cindy. Would you stand? Uh, remember tonight, um, you can come back. You don't have to pre-register. Just come back for Make Waves. We'd love to have you all here. If you need prayer today, there'll be some people up here that would love to pray with you. I want to send you out with this blessing. It's from number six. It's my favorite blessing in all of Scripture. It says, and may the Lord keep you and bless you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord's face turn towards you and give you peace. My prayer is that you go and live in that peace and you spread that peace to who all you come in contact with. Be blessed. You're dismissed. What I love about the valley is that when I'm here, whether I'm in person there at the valley or I'm here in my home, I know that God is with me. Thank you, Pastor Cindy, for reminding us today that in this book of laws and regulations, Leviticus, we're reminded of God's presence with us and that he made a way for us to be reconciled, reconnected, restored in our relationship with him. If you have questions after leaving today's service and you're just kind of like, man, this sounds like something I want to know more about. I want to know more about being reconciled to God, restored, have a redeemed relationship with him. I encourage you to text me at 937-358-6565. Or you can email me at lindsay.murphy@thevalley.church. You should see those in the bar across the bottom here so that we can chat. Really, I came to know Jesus Christ because somebody took time to chat with me, answer my questions, or quite frankly say, you know what, Lindsay, I don't know the answer, but let me tell you about who God is. Because who he is is the same yesterday, today, and always. And if we can know that, even if we don't know how to handle a situation, but we can know that, then we know we can face it because he goes with us. It has been a pleasure worshiping with you today. Stay connected by liking the Valley Troy page, following us on Instagram, our podcast, or checking out our website. Share these posts. When I started out on this journey as the online campus pastor, my goal and my heart is that we would just penetrate all the dark we see in the social media world with light. And messages like today are the light our world needs. So don't be afraid to share posts like this and others in order to really change the circle of influence you all are in. Have a blessed week. I can't wait to see you. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.